The letter to the Romans is one of Paul's most generic letters, mostly because he had never been to the church in Rome. He knew that it had been founded by other Christians, but he wanted to connect them to the churches that he was founding so that, as we sung in the hymn, all might be one in Christ. So what he chooses to do in Romans is basically make the case for Jesus. Why did God send his one and only son when the people of God already have the scriptures and when the Gentiles seem to be doing okay on their own? So in the very first two chapters of Romans, Paul points out that whether you have the scriptures in the case of the Jews or you don't have the scriptures in the case of the Gentiles, but merely have your conscience, both are condemned under God. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, and we have not loved the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He points out to the Gentiles that often their consciences accuse them as much as they excuse them. To the Jews, that those who teach that you should not steal or commit adultery or murder end up doing the very things that God said not to do. In Romans 3, then, Paul gives the good news. We are, after all, the good news place, and so was Paul wanting Rome to be. And he said, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely by God's undeserved kindness, which he showed by offering up his son as a sacrifice for sins. In Romans 4, he gives Abraham as the greater example of faith, bypassing Moses altogether and leaping backwards in time to the first patriarch and pointing out that Abraham was not saved by the law of Moses, which he didn't yet have, but was saved because God promised that he would bless the nations of the earth through him, and he believed the Lord. And believing the Lord was credited to him as righteousness. Of course, the promise made to Abraham is ultimately the promise also fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now we come to Romans chapter 5, from which we have a small excerpt today. And Romans chapter 5 looks specifically at Christ and then jumps even further back past Abraham, past Noah, all the way to the beginning to Adam. And says that just as Adam was the first physical father of the entire human race, so too is Jesus, the new Adam, who gives eternal life to all people who put their trust in him. Paul starts out in our brief section of Romans 5 this morning saying that what Christ did for us in dying, he did while we were weak, and he did it at just the right time. There are two words in Greek for time. One is chronos from which we get chronometer and chronology. But the other really, really special word in the New Testament is kairos. That's the word that Paul loves to use, and he uses it again here. Kairos time is not ticks of a clock, seconds turning to minutes, turning to hours. Kairos time is the right time, the pregnant time. It's fireworks time. It's party time. It's the barbecue is ready time. It's we've got to get to the chapel on time time. And it's right at that right time that God sends his son. But he sends his son not for the strong, 
not for the righteous, not for the faithful, not for the ones who seem to have their religious act together. But Paul says he sends him for us who were still weak. Weak's an interesting word. Weak in Greek means literally helpless. It doesn't mean you're like a four or five-year-old and you need help reaching the cookie jar, or maybe you can't put an entire sentence together, or maybe you're just not strong enough to push that wagon by yourself. Weak means two-week-old baby. You do nothing, nothing at all, but is utterly dependent on their parents for survival. While we were in that state, Paul writes, God, at just the right time, sent someone to deliver us who could not deliver themselves. Now, he then goes on to say something very interesting. He tries to give an analogy of the kinds of things that we, as sinful, fallen, evil human beings, will do. That perhaps we might die for a righteous person. But then he goes on to say, maybe for a good person, we would die. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we just lump both of those together. Righteous person, good person, it's all the same thing, right? It's actually not. That's why Paul says you're unlikely to die for a righteous person, but there's a little bit higher likelihood that you might for somebody who is good. Righteousness means to be in accord with God's requirements. You have checked off all the boxes. You have followed the guidelines. You have limboed yourself under the minimum bar of God's law. Now, all of us know righteous people, but they may not necessarily be good. Good in Greek, agathos, means generous, overflowing with kindness, always on the lookout for how they can be helpful to you and on your side. It is something going above and beyond the limbo bar, above and beyond God's requirements. It's more than checking off the boxes. It's writing also the two bonus questions on the exam and then helping your teacher out with the blackboards and everything else at the end of class. You can see then why for a righteous person, you're like, yeah, I suppose I'm obligated to help them out. But for a good person, we might be willing to die. Remember back in the Gospels, remember the rich young ruler. When he comes up to Jesus to ask his famous question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does he call Jesus? Not righteous teacher, but good teacher. To which Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Already here in Romans 5, Paul is sort of slipping in a reference to Jesus. Jesus is more than just righteous. He goes beyond righteousness into pure goodness, mercy, kindness, doing for the weak and the helpless what they could not do for themselves, and not only what they could not do for themselves, but what they did not want to do. In fact, we are so uninterested in God's help that we nail Jesus to the cross. And even in that state, Jesus says, forgive them, Father, 
They don't know what they're doing. You see, there was nothing in us, and Paul wants this to be abundantly clear throughout Romans, but specifically here in Romans 5. There is nothing in us that merits or deserves what God does for us in Christ. God's response is one of pure love. Pure love is not transactional. It's not, I will love you if you will love me, or I will do this for you if you will do that for me. That is not the true nature of biblical love. Love serves the neighbor without expecting anything in return, except perhaps hatred and abuse. We do it anyway. And the one who did it for us first is Christ. Teresa was not owed baptism. There was no transaction. There was no, well, I've checked off enough of the boxes, answered enough of the questions, done enough right things in life that now Jesus owes me the gift of the spirit and the seal of the forgiveness of sins. The same for all of you. I'm not just singling her out, but she was baptized this morning. But all of us who have been baptized did not deserve this. We weren't owed it. We didn't work for it. God gave it to us by grace. By love, he said, I will love you while you are helpless and even while you are my enemies. I will reconcile you to God. What Christ did for us, he did while we were still weak. But what Christ also did for us was more than simply dying. Paul speaks eloquently about what God has done for us in Christ's life. His life both before his crucifixion, but even more importantly, his life and the resurrection. Paul says, we were justified by his blood, which we know is true. But how much more, Paul says, will we be saved by him from God's wrath? Certainly, there is no, shedding of, there is no justification without shedding of blood. This is one of those difficult points of scripture, but it goes all the way back again to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, who saw that they were naked because of their disobedience and God killed animals to clothe them. By the shedding of blood, they were covered up. A ram was substituted for Abraham's son, Isaac. A ram shed its blood so that Isaac could live. And Sabbath after Sabbath, day after day, blood of animals was shed in the temple courts that our blood might not be shed and that we might foreshadow God's coming in Jesus. We are saved by God's wrath by this blood. Saved, healed, rescued, brought through. That's all the meaning behind that word. It's more than just saved as in now I have an insurance card that I will go to heaven in my wallet. It's the healing that comes from knowing a God who loves you without merit, a God who came at the right time, and a God who saved you while you were still weak and has now reconciled you to God. Reconciliation is a powerful word. It means that which was broken is now right again, is now together again. We were reconciled to God while we were still God's enemies through his son and now saved by his resurrected life. Jesus wants us to have life 
He's all about life. It's why John's gospel begins with John saying that in the word was life and that life was the light of men. It's in John's gospel that Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it overflowingly, abundantly, not just a little bit of life, but life as God meant it to be. And now that we are reconciled in his life, all of the tension between us and God is resolved. And that's what it means to have life, right? To be at peace, to wake up in the morning without anxiety, to wake up without worry, to wake up knowing that the people that you had wronged are now right with you again, to have the burden lifted off of your shoulders, to have God come and say, give me your burden that I might carry it and take my yoke upon you for it is easy and it is light. So Paul concludes with this thought. Going back to Adam again, sin came through one man. It's through Adam's disobedience that we have been locked into this creation that is fallen. Death came through sin. And so death came to all of us. But Jesus died so that we might have life again. Because one man trespassed, we all die. But because one man was obedient, we will all live. Christ died and lives for us. A new Adam, justifying those who are unjustifiable, being righteousness for those who are unrighteous, being strong when we were weak, and giving life to those who were dead. And that is Paul's message to us in Romans 5. Next week, we will turn to Romans 6, an expansion on the gift of what happens in holy baptism. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.